Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about venture capital and whether or not it has a good strategic fit with the animal health and livestock market. Joining us is Kevin Lockett. How are you doing today, Kevin? Good. I'm doing well, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. It's, uh, it's a good time. It's almost a uh, holiday season. Get to see family. So I'm excited for that. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Really excited to be bringing a perspective around venture capital and investments in this marketplace to to some of our listeners. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind just by kind of introducing yourself and how you how you came to to being in a role of being a being a venture capitalist. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I have a, uh, uh, as do most folks, a sort of non-traditional route to venture. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma, uh, so I've been a Midwest kid all my life. I went to school at, at in the state of Kansas at Kansas State University, so land grant university that has a ton of ag animal health stuff. Um, although I won't say I was on the ag animal health side, I was uh, on the uh, finance side of things, and so uh, that's what I went to school for and graduated in. Uh, and then a, a little bit of a unique background. Um, you know, a lot of people graduate college and. You know, they run off, take that first job, uh, and they start their career trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I was an athlete uh, at K-State, and so I had the opportunity to be drafted into the NFL. Uh, and so I spent the first seven years of my career post-K-State uh, in the NFL. Uh, and then during that time is when I sort of figured out what I wanted to do, uh, what I'll call in real life. And, uh, and so during that time, I started doing some consulting work for a place called the Kauffman Foundation in Kansas City. Um, really big private foundation, about a $2 billion foundation uh, that is heavily focused on uh, entrepreneurship. And so they have two sides to that foundation. One is uh, sort of an academic side uh, uh, that uh, deals with kind of K through 12 education. And on the flip side, uh, they have an entrepreneurship side. And so I was on the entrepreneurship side, uh, did some consulting work my last couple of years in the NFL for them, uh, fell into the sort of their research and policy de uh, department spent about a year there. Uh, and then I spent the next eight years uh, at the foundation uh, in more of a, a operational role. Uh, we uh, essentially created an internal um, management consulting practice that really worked with early stage companies all over the country. And so over the next eight years, uh, we dealt with thousands of early stage entrepreneurs uh, that were anywhere from uh, no revenue uh, mostly till about five to 10 million in revenue. Uh, and so we dealt with that population uh, for about an eight year period. Uh, and then I left there and uh, went to a place early 2013 uh, called Kansas Bioscience Authority. And so again, my background was finance. So uh, I went there as our CFO and COO, um, a good, good friend of mine, a guy named Dwayne uh, Cantrell, who's currently a partner with me at, at Fulcrum Global Capital, uh, was the CEO. 
And then our in-house general counsel was my third partner uh, at Fulcrum, a guy named John Perriam. Uh, and so there we were responsible for uh, investing uh, from a venture perspective into agriculture, animal health, uh, and ag tech uh, on behalf of the state of Kansas. So the state of Kansas was our sole investor, our sole limited partner. Um, the idea uh, of the organization was that by making early stage investments into ag and animal health, uh, those are areas where we might do sort of a non-traditional form of economic development and be able to bring in, uh, bring companies to the state of Kansas that were uh, similar to yours, right? Doing early stage technology um, in a place where it made sense to be in the state of Kansas. And so we built up a portfolio there um, of about 16 companies. Uh, we were also invested in a bunch of other different venture funds that were doing ag and animal health. Um, and then the three of us spun out. And so in 2018, we began raising our own fund. 2019, our fund started. And so that's how uh, Fulcrum Global Capital was sort of formed, was uh, the three of us left and uh, went out to the private markets and raised our own fund. So for those on the, uh, I guess, that are listening that don't understand what venture capital is, would you mind doing a, just a brief overview on what is venture capital and how does that typically work? What's that process? Yeah, so um, we like to think of venture capital as sort of, uh, we call it risk capital, really, right? And so it's for, uh, it's capital that's available for um, new technologies, whether it's coming off of uh, a college campus whether it's uh, been licensed off of a campus, uh, but it's it's new technologies that are completely disruptive to any particular markets. And so again, uh, Fulcrum, we're focused on agriculture, ag tech and animal health. And so it's capital for founders who uh, have found a new innovative way to solve a massive problem. And when we talk about massive problems, we're talking about like billion dollar problems, right? That, that producers or the industry have. And so uh, it's that capital that is sort of hard to find, if you will, because people are saying, man, there's a lot of risk that goes along with that technology. Um, but it's a big risk reward game for, for us as investors. And so we don't usually invest alone. We invest alongside uh, a couple of other different folks at each deal that think like us and are willing to take that kind of a risk. Uh, but we take some ownership in a company. Usually it's minority ownership, not majority ownership. Uh, and then we're now part of part of the founders team, right? We're there sometime, most of the time on a board of directors and we're there to try to help figure out, hey, how do we accelerate this technology? How do we help commercialize? How do we help build out the team? And the ultimate goal is to build a company around a new technology so fast that the market takes uh, has to pay attention to it and that ultimately someone comes in to acquire the company because there's just been so much traction at such a rapid pace. And so um, it is a uh, fun space to be in. Uh, and as you know, as a founder, it is uh, hard to determine what the space will always do, uh, but it's a fun ride. And uh, what's interesting is we're bringing technologies to to industries that really haven't been disrupted for a really long time and they're stuck in their traditional ways. Uh, but now all of a sudden we find ourselves at this crossroads of, uh, you know, two and a half billion people coming onto the planet over the next 20 years, got to produce more food, can't do it the same ways we've been doing it. Uh, there's only a certain amount of land, certain amount of resources like water and so forth. So, so how do we get more uh, creative and innovative with our technologies to, to produce more food or to make food more safer uh, or to stop wasting as much food as we do today in the industry? So this is something where you have researchers on universities like Kansas State who are developing game-changing technologies for the sake of research, but could technically spin out 
meet with someone like yourself and figure out how to fund that to being an actual business? Yeah, I mean, I think our technologies can tend to come from a lot of places. Um, and it depends on how early you want to invest, how much risk you want to take. At Fulcrum, uh, we don't invest uh, early enough in the cycle where we're going to take a technology that's right off of a college campus. Um, but we might we might invest in a technology that's a couple of years removed from a college campus where they've really started to figure out uh, what is the commercial application for this technology? Because as you know, a lot of times the, the technologies that are being created for a specific per academic purpose is not always the exact commercial use of that of that technology as well. I mean, I think the, the great example everybody always points points to is Viagra, right? That's not what it was originally created for, but it was a, it was a byproduct of, of what happened. And lo and behold, commercially, it's a whole different product than the original um the original research behind it. So um, we're not that early, but yeah, tech, uh, we, we look for <clears throat> young, innovative, bright-minded folks who have figured out or have seen a technology and they may license it from a university or if they've gotten it from another large uh, company and they're building something that's, that's a unique solution that has a commercial application that ultimately can be adopted by, by consumers. So when we look at the animal health, ag tech space and livestock industry, it, it's not always easy. And in, in most cases, it's not easy. Can you talk about why it's so hard to not only invest in ag tech or animal health in the livestock industry, but I guess why, why, it's, why it's hard to evaluate a potential deal in those industries? Yeah, so I think what makes uh, the animal health industry a little bit more difficult is when you think about traditional venture, uh, most people think about like Facebook or Google or Twitter, right? Like, tr like traditional tech companies where um, you get in early, they build something and it's a massive billion dollar exit. Um, and, you know, those kinds of, of exits, those billion dollar exits uh, simply haven't been proven really uh, on a consistent basis in the animal health sector. And so what makes it hard is there's not a lot of risk capital uh, that's willing to invest in early stake tech technologies that are on the animal health side uh, because they're unsure of what uh, the exit market potentially looks like. So I think the lack of capital that's available, um, the lack of what I'll call specific capital that is there that has an expertise on the animal health side, uh, I think is difficult. Um, I think one of the unique things that we think we bring at Fulcrum is um, our investor base uh, are mostly almost all farmers. Uh, they're all producers. And so they're either on the animal side or they're on the ag side or sometimes both. And so when we when we take a look through what our investor base looks like, the folks whose money we're using to make investments, um, they're spread out through about 14 states throughout the Midwest. They represent about 3 million head of cattle, uh, a million, million and a half head of swine, um, you know, dairy operations, ag retail, ag banking, um, all throughout just sort of the ag supply chain, half a million acres of row crops. So uh, corn, soy, wheat, alfalfa, et cetera. So um, that's our investor base. Um, and so we are finding solutions uh, that ultimately are going to uh, make their operations even better. Um, and so there, but, but there's not like thousands of us that are floating around who are running venture capital funds uh, that are solely focused on those spaces. So that's what makes animals so hard is no one knows uh, or can predict uh, the size of what the exits look like on the back end. But then at the flip side, there's just not a ton of folks that would profess to say, hey, we think we've got expertise uh, in this animal health sector to make investments into this area. 
Yeah. So how hard is that to evaluate a deal or to figure out how much time you want to invest in evaluating a deal when you might have to go in and learn an entire marketplace that may not be able to translate to many other deals? How do you have to focus bandwidth when evaluating things? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a tough challenge. Time management is a big deal for us, but, um, but that's why like our, our fund is very narrowly focused, right? So again, we're animal and we're ag tech. Um, and we're ag. So, I mean, we are very focused just on those specific areas. We've not only, we not only rely on our investor base uh, and their, and their information and their knowledge, but we also um, have uh, a group of advisors that we work very closely with. They all come from industry. Uh, we believe in academic advisors, uh, but we're really looking for uh, the type of advisors that we have that uh, have operational experience. And so, um, you know, people who were, as an example, one of them is former president of John Deere Ag and Turf. So really helpful for us on the ag tech side. Uh, another is a former president uh, of, of uh, Seaboard Foods and also of Butterball Turkey. So again, from a processing perspective on the animal health side, incredible amount of knowledge that helps lead us and guide us as we try to decipher which technologies seem to make the most sense for us to make investments into. So we try to put a network of, of people around us, whether they're investors or advisors or whomever they may be. Um, and we utilize that network to the best of our ability because uh, ultimately the decisions that we're making, uh, we need to see them grow uh, and scale and, uh, and ultimately have, have a liquidity event. So something we had kind of talked about in the past that was pretty interesting was we look at ag tech and, and animal health. It's, it's not quick. It's not as long as creating a new drug, but it takes time and so from a founder side, there's things that they need to be able to validate and prove to justify it as being reduced in risk. But then there's also kind of a give and take within producers on who's willing to take an initial risk as well and that a whole adoption curve. Within the livestock space, what are some of the challenges that, that you think founders in the industry themselves are going to have to overcome to help capital become, more, um, become less risky in the space? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing we're going to need is we're going to need more companies like yours that are just successful at raising money, continuing to show growth um, and prove that they have solutions that matter and that make sense. But when you talk about like ultimate adoption, um, if the producer is the end customer, um, I think one of the first key points that we point to, and we hear this all the time from our investor base is um, there's got to be a very clear ROI. I mean, they whatever the solution is that you're bringing me, it has to effectively show that it can pay for itself uh, in a very quick time frame and turnaround. And I mean, that's on the animal side. But I mean, if you really think about that for us on the ag side, um, ROI is calculated quite differently than it is in many other industries. I mean, on the ag side, um, weather and so many other external factors uh, apply to ag. And so they think of ROI like in, in a growing season, right? And so like if I'm going to invest in a technology, well, if it's going to, if it's not going to provide me a return for three or four years, that, that's not valuable to me because I think of it as growing season. It's the same on the animal side. You think of like a feedlot manager. Um, he's got these animals on his feedlot for a set period of time. And so if you try to introduce, let's call it uh, a wearable technology or something that gives him biometric data on his cattle, well, that's great, but I've only got it for a couple hundred days. Um, and so if if this technology doesn't pay for itself within that time frame, or it's not reusable on the next herd that comes in, what good is it to me? So, so the ag and animal space prevent uh, present some interesting challenges. I think another challenge is uh, what I'll call integration. 
we always like to say it as we, we see ourselves as uh, as the venture arm of the of the of the producer, right? And so what we mean by that is we try to always get the producer's perspective. So there's so many people, and this happens a little bit on the coast sometimes. They build a technology or a solution that is super cool, uh, but when you really ask them, well, how many actual producers have tried it? Uh, none. Um, and so from our perspective, it's sort of, hey, you need to get the producer's voice very, very early because not only are they looking for a solid ROI, they're also looking for something that easily integrates into existing practices. So don't bring me a solution that causes me to have to go out to my field and spray four additional times per year, uh, or don't give me something that allows me, that causes me to have to hold this animal in a chute for five more minutes longer, creating all types of stress uh, in order to deploy it. Give me something that easily integrates with what I do today um, that is just now becomes an additional solution. So I think our view is the reason the animal health sector and stuff, why it's so hard and why you see sort of lack of adoption is a lot of times in our view, maybe there's not a clear ROI and and a lot of times they're not taking the producer's uh, point of view uh, into perspective early enough in the development process as they're building out this technology. Yeah, because if you come with something that's just not technically solving their problem, it's tough. One thing that we've kind of heard and, and seen is that if you don't have those relationships with those producers pre-established heading into that customer discovery phase, it's very apparent on how hard it can be to challenge assumptions. So if, if a producer says this is a problem, well, is it really the problem? Diving to the core, digging to the core pain point and figuring out how to solve it, it can come across as kind of disrespectful sometimes. Like, well, is that really your problem? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something I think that as founders, uh, taking, taking customer discovery to heart and understanding how to do that really, really well, especially in a market where they know way more than what you probably ever will, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, and not only is the knowledge base uh, so high on their end, um, it's a trusted network, right? I mean, getting into weaving yourself into these networks, if you're not, quote unquote, one of them, uh, sometimes it's really hard and really painful to be able to get into a point where they'll actually give you an, uh, an audience. And so um, if you're a founder and you've got some technology, um, man, I, 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 I find a way to get warm introductions uh, into these actual producers because it's a trusted network. If they're on the ag side and their agronomist says, hey, you should meet with this group, uh, they'll meet with you in a heartbeat. But if you if you think you're going to cold call and walk onto a particular farm or an animal producer and say, hey, I've got a new technology for you, good luck. I mean, you've got to come yeah. from a reputable source. Yeah, I think for, for any producers listening and founders, uh, if you're a producer and you get involved with these founders early on, you have a very moldable aspect of that technology. You, you, you have such a say into how it could solve your problem. Getting involved earlier than later, even if it's an hour of your time answering questions, is going to drastically increase the likelihood of that technology truly solving your problem. And I yeah. think getting that time from the industry is so important. Yeah, and there's a benefit to both sides, right? I mean, from an animal health producer perspective, um, you get to see all kinds of different technologies that are out there. Some may make it to market, some may not, uh, but you at least understand the things that are out there. Uh, on the flip side, um, um, from a from a founder perspective, you're getting to hear firsthand from your potential customer 
um, what it is that they want out of this product. And so from that discovery, you start to understand what's the real value, what's the priority in terms of what they're trying to solve? Um, how do I need to build it? How does it need to integrate with their practices? What can I actually charge compared to um, to the, pro the amount of the problem that I'm solving? So you, you find out information that you're not going to find by just doing traditional market research on Google or something. Um, you get to hear it firsthand. So there's a benefit to both sides. And that's kind of the space where I think that makes us as a firm uh, pretty unique is we've got that voice of all of those producers. Um, and, and, and not only are we investing their money, um, but we utilize them in so many ways. I mean, we utilize them quarterly to understand what their pain points are. Um, we bring them in for what we now call like our producers presentations, where when we have companies that are deep in diligence and we're interested in, we bring uh, a subset of our producer network in to actually listen to their pitches uh, that where, where the technology that those companies have directly relates to their exact operations. And so whether we end up making an investment or not, sometimes we're connecting uh, a potential founder to a potential producer because they have a pain point and they, they potentially have a solution. And then obviously, once we make an investment in a company, uh, we're very active about utilizing our investor network to be uh, either early trial sites for these uh, companies, uh, early customers for these companies, uh, just to start getting that traction rolling. Because we feel like uh, if we can be uh, the piece that accelerates some of that traction, again, it's a trusted network. And then all of a sudden, that sort of starts to just blossom out to all the different producers that are out there. So do you, do you have a, a wish list, let's say, for, let's say, innovators in the industry, uh, universities, existing companies, producers, if one or two things could change to make the space that much more investable, what would it be? You know, I think we're seeing, and it's just going to take some time, but um, I don't think that this space becomes... Uh, um, as investable as we all want it to be until a couple of things happen um, from a strategic standpoint. And so when we talk about strategics, we're talking about the large animal health companies that represent calling the top five or the top 10. Um, they are starting to get much more active in this early stage space. I think what a lot of them are starting to see is, hey, we have R&D departments, but the innovation outside of our companies is happening at such much more of a rapid pace that we no longer can only look internally what's in our building. We've got to look externally for solutions. And so the fact that that's happening, those companies are getting more engaged with these early stage companies. And so you're starting to see early stage companies like Swine Tech who might have a relationship with like a Smithfield or somebody, um, or you might have an ag company that's got a relationship with a Bayer or something like that. And so that helps again, both sides, right? It helps the it helps the founder who's trying to build a company because they get some credibility. It helps the big strategic because they're saying, oh, wow, I never knew that type of technology could be applied in that manner. Um, and so the more that that happens, it's an awareness thing, but ultimately what's happening is you are priming the pump for the typical acquirers for many of these technologies. And as they begin to acquire these technologies, then the cycle starts. People start to understand, oh wait, there are a lot of acquisitions that are taking place from early stage technologies that can show these, these, uh, these uh, proof points. And so if I put my money in earlier, there's potential on the backside for them to grow. And there's actually groups out there that are buying these companies. So I, I think it's a big cycle. Um, 
and we're at different parts uh, of the cycle, but I think it's just overall continued success from early stage companies. It's, it's continued uh, involvement from uh, some of these large strategics uh, that are out there in terms of animal health companies. Um, and it's just sort of weaving all these pieces together uh, because anytime you have success around anything, I mean, everyone else starts to flock to it. No, great point. Great point. So I guess uh, to close things out, do you have a golden nugget for people listening that isn't, you know, <laughs> outside of everything else we've been talking about? One take home. Oh, man. Uh, golden nugget. Let's see. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think what I would say is, uh, so maybe I'll, I'll position it to a couple of different groups. I think from to a producer standpoint, what I'd say to the producers that are out there that are listening uh, I would say I'd encourage you try to get more engaged in sort of what early stage technology looks like, whether it's um, as you described as uh, as you find a one off and you get a little more engaged because you can provide some feedback, whether it's through a fund like ours, where maybe you're an investor, but you also get access to understand all the different technologies that are that are out there. Be open to being trial sites um, because that that all is helping the ecosystem to the founders that are out there. What I'd say is first, uh, make sure you're building something that's solving a real problem, right? Uh, and so it's not a problem that you read in a magazine, but it's actually you've done some research, you've talked to some founders, I mean, some producers, and they say, no, that's a big problem for me. Um, so make sure you're solving a big problem, but get the producer's point of view as well. So that as you're building this technology, um, you're building it in a way that that has likelihood for adoption. And then what I'd say from uh, the investors, I mean, from the strategic standpoint is, uh, doesn't matter who you are, big animal health companies, uh, continue to engage with the whole early stage startup ecosystem that's in this space because uh, you look at the Midwest um, and the resources are here, right? You got the animal health corridor, you got universities like, like K-State on one bookend on the West, uh, all the way to, to the University of Missouri on the East. You got, you know, 56% of the world's GDP in animal health ha has a presence right here within a five-hour kind of window. Uh, you got uh, the National Bio-Agro-Defense Facility that's being built in Manhattan that's going to deal with all types of animal health research, uh, level one, two, three, and four. Uh, you've got uh, early-stage capital like ours and other funds that are interested in this space. You got a new animal health accelerator going up in Topeka. I mean, when you look geographically, uh, at where we sit in the Midwest, I mean, it only makes sense. And so what I'd say to those large, um, large companies that are in the animal health sector, uh, continue to invest, if you will, in that early stage ecosystem and, and continue to understand that uh, all solutions aren't going to come within your four walls, right? And so to the mercs of the world, continue to be engaged like you are, SIVAs, et cetera, uh, because your, your influence helps guide uh, what these what these uh, technologies end up looking like when it's time for commercialization. No, great points. And I really appreciate you joining the Popular Pig podcast, offering your 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 expertise to, to everybody listening. I think it was really, really fascinating. I think a lot of people are going to take home a lot of stuff from this. So thanks. Thanks a ton, Kevin. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like 
SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.